are back on High Motor by BetMGM, dropping the Thursday episode, Thursday, May 20th episode. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty. And we're doing two things today on High Motor by BetMGM. Number one, NFL win totals for 2021 with Jason Scott. He's the BetMGM VP of Sports Trade. And number two, we're going to come back after Chase's pick and talk NBA playoffs. We don't do a ton of NBA talk. I'm thinking about it now. I'm not sure if we even have done any since the start of the season minus your picks. Don't do a whole lot of NBA talk on the show. But we're going to do some today because there are just too many betting opportunities on BetMGM.com over the next, what, seven, eight weeks or so. A reminder, if you haven't grabbed it already, that $600 risk-free bet still available on BetMGM.com for your first bet. How did you do with NBA betting this season? I know you mentioned offline that there was a period where you were doing very well with over-unders. How did you do throughout the entire regular season? I'd say good. I really started getting away from betting it at the end of the season. And I'm not saying anything that, that people who've been dialed into the NBA don't already know. The end of the season was such a shit show. I think even Jason's going to mention it later when we talk to him with injuries and just the the way the games were compressed together. I just started checking out in terms of what I was betting. I was still watching, but I didn't really want to take a lot of positions, but overall it was good. You know, I very in the black for the season. I had two big uh, win totals come in the other day and a third one that I lost on, but still ended up making money because it was the Golden State win total. It came down to the very last game. I hedged out of it. So it all kind of worked out pretty well. I'd say uh, course of the season, I don't know, six, seven, eight grand, like somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood and about half of that was win totals. So a good season overall. Looking forward to a fun playoff push and I think that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. How many win totals did you take? I took, I was over Phoenix, which was like a way, like I think I texted you a month ago, like, yeah, just hit the Phoenix one. Remember that? That's when uh, Ben Heisler was on the show way back, I don't even, yeah, way back like in February maybe, because that was the same episode that Sam Herder was on talking FCS, and I think FCS started the third week of February, so that was around, yeah, I think you mentioned that offline even before that episode talking about the Suns, but I remember him pushing that quite a bit, so he took the Suns, Warriors, who else? So I had Suns over, that's a cash uh Sixers over that's a cash more than the Sixers in a bit I had under with the Warriors came down to the very last game and then I was low on the Spurs and the Hawks so I had the under on both of those and I thought they kind of outperformed expectations which was a little surprising but it's not like I had some great read on what those teams were going to be anyway which is why I bet a lot less on those I felt really strong about Philadelphia and Phoenix and we'll get more into that uh after the break but let's get into some NFL win totals with Jason Scott BetMGM's VP of Sports Trade and joining us after the NFL schedule release last week to talk win totals. But Jason, first, for the casual bettors out there, the people who don't consume sports betting 24-7, you know, what's the nutshell version of what you and your team of traders do at BetMGM? Yeah, so so we're pretty versatile. We have to look after every sport on the planet. And basically, we, we try and put a price on every on every event, the likelihood of either team winning or losing or player player props or player scoring the first touchdown or hitting the most the most home runs for the season or whatever it will be. And we offer over three three million markets a season, a year, sorry, across all sports. Um, very obviously American sports focused, but uh, surprisingly uh, European football and or soccer and tennis are also uh, we write many bets on, you know, tennis, for instance, we bet on every point. We bet live and you can bet who's going to win the next point, the next game, the next set. Uh, so we have markets that are, are there pre-post before the game start. 
and then the in-play betting, which um, is becoming more and more popular. And we're, to be honest, we're we're not far short of parity. The fact that I think about 45% of our bets are now in play, which has certainly increased in the last six to 12 months. I know we want to get to football in a second, but I do have to ask just out of curiosity, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are curious too. How do you deal with more niche fields? Uh, like, uh, I mean, you mentioned tennis. We just finished like the FCS football season, like things that don't attract as much attention, but that you guys still hang lines for. Do, do you have like in-house specialists that, that follow that more closely and hang the numbers? Like how exactly does that process work? Yeah, we do. But look, we, 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 we've evolved and we let our customers tell us what the right price should be. So we'll put up a price, and, it, and you're talking about niche events or events where we don't have a hell of a lot of expertise. 90, 99.9% of our customers don't either. But one of the skills that we have is, you know, we have some fairly uh, good quality trading tools that let us know the customers that continually beat us, the customers that continually get a better price. So if we know that there's a guy who at FCS Football, he's an expert, and he has a bet, we'll move the line on the back of his betting. Uh, so, so rather than the old traditional bookmaker where you try and balance a book where we're going to win regardless of which team wins, we don't look that way. We try and find we look at it as a marketplace, not not dissimilar to a to a stock exchange, where where we're looking where customers want to buy and sell on both sides, and if all the sharps are on the same side, we move the points far enough to the fact to to where the sharps don't want to bet anymore because that's probably the right price. There's a lot of really sophisticated individuals and teams out there with very, very smart quants, and, and it suits us to use their IP as well as what we learn. So anyone who thinks they're smarter than market, most people aren't. But the skill of what we do is to put it all together. It's like a puzzle. Put it all together and come up, come up with basically middle ground. So the NFL schedule released last week. We're sitting here. We're talking on Monday, May 17th, so we're – what, just under four-ish months until the NFL season. Uh, going back two weeks on draft day after that Adam Schefter report on Aaron Rodgers, you guys removed the Packers win total from BetMGM.com. Some other futures were removed for the Packers, uh, NFC North, Lions, Bears, Vikings, and also the Broncos amidst those rumors that maybe Rodgers could land in Denver. The Packers win total still off the board as of this morning. Super Bowl odds up there for them. Week one odds available for Packers Saints down in New Orleans as this situation remains very much unsettled. Do you have a value in mind for what Aaron Rodgers is worth for these various bets? Like, if it comes out tomorrow that he's back, you know, make, he makes a statement, whatever, where he's unequivocally saying that he's coming back to the Packers in 2021, are you putting the Packers back at what they were pre Schefter's report? Are you automatically adjusting that Saints line? Uh, to the Packers' benefit, I think they were at 11 wins for uh, pre-Schefter's uh, report, 11 wins for the win total. Basically, how much insight can you give us into how you're handling that very precarious situation? Yeah, I mean, what we learned last last year is Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be happy to have a stellar season. So, so if we come back, if he comes back, you know, I think the win total will come in maybe in the 12.5-13 range. Uh, it's not a strong division. Now, what, what the prices are and the lines are, if he doesn't come back, a lot will depend on what they get out of a trade. You know, who knows? They could, For all we know, they could trade with the Texans and Watson ends up there. Or um, if, if not, if it's Bortles and Love, well, you know, your number's probably going to be go down five or six wins, I would suspect. 
Uh, you know, they've still got a strong defence. They've still got a decent offence, maybe, you know, and might get to eight or nine. The question is, if he goes to Dem- Denver, where, where do the Broncos end up? Who do have a really good defence. Um, you know, it's... We've, I've got thoughts, but let, a lot will depend on the trade and how many players, you know, whether whether it's first-round picks that the Broncos or whoever else ends up futures give him or if they've got to give him two, two good players, give the Packers a couple of good players now. So it's it, it's a very fluid thing. And we'll know. We'll know from our customers. Like, draft is a really, really good example in pick three. So it became very apparent to us, you know, everybody that had been Mac Jones was going to, was going to go to the 49ers. About 11 o'clock on draft day, we just kept writing a whole lot of bets for Trey Lance at three. So something, it leaks out first. And, you know, Rogers tells somebody completely innocently, he might mention to his next door neighbour who's got a, a brother somewhere who bets and all of a sudden the rumour's out and money comes flying. So the money, the money, the money's smarter than any media, any media organisation. Um, Adam Schefter and that crew, they've got great contacts, but the money, but the money beats them to the market. I think we've said that before on this podcast too. I think that's a recurring theme. Um, I, I'm more interested, I think, in, in the other side of it because I've been cooler than most on the the Aaron Rodgers is going to get out of town thing. I think he probably comes back to Green Bay, but I'm curious how the rumors affect the the money and the prices for other teams. Like you touched on Denver there, and I'm always curious how, if at all conversations like this tilt maybe not even the number but the vig for other teams if you know maybe there's just a little bit more in uh, tax built in to the price on say a denver over because it's rumored even though there's no real substance that maybe he ends up playing for the broncos without a doubt and and to quantify it is very difficult because one thing about trading is not an exact science so you know, I think I think their their Super Bowl price halved is halved on the back of the rumors, which you know eighty eighty into forty is a, is a, isn't a significant difference. You know, it's from one and a quarter percent to two and a half percent chance of happening. But but of course we're we're writing bets. I can tell you we haven't written a bet on Green Bay to win, barely written a bet on Green Bay to win the Super Bowl since this has happened, which makes sense because who wants to tie their money up if Rogers doesn't come? They'll be they'll be fifty eighty to one with all due respect to Jordan Love and Blake Bortles. So, so there is, a, and we're always thinking about the about the other, what 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 it affects in terms of division, what it means for season wins for certainly the teams in their divisions, but the other teams that play Green Bay, certainly the ones that are playing them at home, that might now be a chance of winning, which would have been a game that we'd written off. So, so there is a there's without a doubt a knock on effect on many many markets. Moving away from the Packers a little bit, I mean, I guess you could bring up the Broncos, one of the NFC North teams, uh, to answer this question. But who have been the, the toughest teams to handicap for win totals? Maybe if we can possibly separate the Aaron Rodgers situation uh, from everything else in the league, you know, whether it was tough to just kind of get a read on their 2020, out, excuse me, 2021 outlook, you're having a hard time reading the money, something like that, you know, the market for them. Any teams in particular that had just been more challenging to read as we sit now three and a half, four months out from the season? Yeah, I think the 49ers are, are are really interesting this year. I mean, we've come we've gone from the Super Bowl two years ago to where they ended up last year, basically on the back of injuries. So there's the there's the known unknown of how many of these guys are going to come back, what state they're going to be. In. You know, is is Bose still the the beast that he was, or has something slowed him down? 
And then you've got the quarterback. Is Jimmy G really going to be the man? Or, you know, or will Trey Lance be thrown in? Um, the teams like that that sort of had a down year, you don't know what's going to happen. They're always very tricky. Uh, we've, we we went up 10 wins and we the Vigs moved because we've laid over 10 wins. So the, the public certainly believes they're going to win more than 10 games next year. Um, so so they're, they're very tricky. Uh, the other ones are obviously the Steelers. The Steelers were a tale of two halves last season. You know, they, the first half of the season, they looked like a playoff contender. The second half, they looked like, a, you know, top top 10 draft pick contender. So so what are we going to see? Ben's a year older. Um, you know, okay, I, I, they bought, they've got Najee in now, whether whether that helps as the running back. So it's the, the defense is a year older. They've lost a few. They're, they're the tricky ones. They're the tricky ones. And then again, the opposite end of that is the Chargers. Can, is is Herbert going to um is 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 last year a one off? Plenty of guys have one offs and they they get found out in their second year as as coaches spend more time diving into them. Uh, will they make the progression that everybody thinks? Uh, again, our customers say no. Um, we've we've seen we've seen a little bit more money on them winning under nine than over nine. So it's it's a it's a really interesting conundrum. Chase and I have talked a couple of times, I think it was last week we most recently brought it up, that, you know, with the 17th game after being 16 games for our entire lifetime, it's just, it's one of those things that's just hard for your mind to kind of wrap around. Because when you talk about a 10-win season, in the past you're going 10-6, and six, whereas this year you're going, you know, 10-7 and seven if it's nine nine and a half win total. Uh, you know, you can get, you can have seven losses and still go 10-7 and seven and hit that. Has there been, I mean, like, what's the challenges that come with that 17th game? I know it's just one extra game and you're, you're adjusting the win total, however, but, like, how is your team approaching this from, like, both a mental standpoint of just wrapping your head around that extra game after all of our lifetimes have had 16, and then have you noticed the, the public reacting any differently to that number as they kind of wrap their head around having that extra game? So the first thing that we need to identify is which teams have nine home games. Um, you know, we've always had eight and eight. And we've had parity, uh, and then, you know, there's certain teams that we know that have got the climactic, uh, sorry, climatic advantage. Um, certainly towards the the back end of the cold part of the season. Um, so identifying those, and again, they're the, they're the ones the public have come for. Um, and, and then last year with COVID, home field advantage was minimal. In fact, it was it was nearly not there, and we've seen that in most sports. Will that will that come back? As as strongly as it's always been, you know the three or four points that that the home team has usually moved the line. Um, in terms of that, that's probably the biggest thing for us. Uh, and I think also, I think veteran teams, an extra game is going to help, isn't it? I think I think it's the team with the young players that tend to burn out a little bit more quickly, get through eight, ten weeks, and start to struggle. I think we might see some big scores in week in week eighteen this year. Around this part of the calendar, uh, I, I guess more broadly just from the NFL, although I, I imagine the NFL is part of this, what do you guys see money coming in on? Just in general, like where where is your handle? Where are people betting? Yeah, there's two types. Uh, at the moment, we've seen very little interest in week one. Uh, we've, we obviously see a lot, of, a lot of interest in the conference and Super Bowl champion. But you know, obviously, with us going up last week on the uh, season wins, we've seen we've seen a lot of interest. Uh, the best back teams have certainly been the Cardinals to win over eight. The Bills have been very well supported. 
Um, but the, at the moment, they're the, they're the areas of um, interest. We haven't seen a hell of a lot on the on the player season props, the over under yards. Uh, but it, what what it basically will just keep revving up more and more as the season finishes. And I think once we get through the NBA playoffs, where it's got that month of clear air, uh, people start to get interested up until the week of, and then it goes mad. Yeah, I think even the NBA is is where I'm interested too. Like, uh, are there like relative to the NFL handle? Are a lot of people starting to come in on the NBA? Uh, are there people betting like clay season and tennis? Like, are, are people? kind of disinterested in baseball at like a lot of national people like to suggest, or is that not necessarily true? Like that's, I'm really fascinated by in this part of the calendar where people choose to spend their time and their money. Yeah. Look, basketball has been tough the last two weeks in terms of, in terms of handle and bet count. And it makes sense because we've had a lot of games which were fairly inconsequential. Uh, Two teams down the bottom or or a playoff contender playing a, um, playing a team that is, you know, in, in a lines for lottery pick. And frankly, players were sitting down. We'd find out two or three hours before the game that they weren't playing. So that, that certainly turned a lot of people off. We saw a huge jump yesterday, um, obviously with so many games that, that had major impact on either home court advantage, the seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth, um, and, and where, you've, where you landed in the play-ins. So, so we're, we're now really starting to see... Um, great interest and frankly that we saw it in the final four the play-ins have, have really grabbed the attention of people uh, you know and again obviously with the with the with the ncaa basketball ucla coming from the play-ins all the way through to the all the way through with the run they made and i don't think it'll happen in the nba but you never know jason thanks for the time uh thanks for the insight and all this and hopefully we'll chat soon take care pleasure thank you andrew <laughs> Going into the NBA playoffs, I like to take positions. Uh, I, I like to drop a tent pole somewhere. I like to have an early position that I can then bet off of or hedge off of later in the playoffs if I have a good position. So last year, if you followed me for a little while, you know I had the Heat. That was a textbook example of what I want to do. I would say I probably got a little bit lucky because I didn't fully believe in that bet when I made it. But I was able to hedge off of the heat and go heavy on the Lakers when we got to the championship last year. That's the that's the benefit of having a good futures position. So this year, kind of looking for that earlier, even on the podcast, I gave it out as an airborne pick. I liked the Pacers as a Eastern Conference championship team. That didn't quite work out, and I'd say for reasons that were kind of unforeseeable. I mean, they've they've had some weird bounces of the ball, some weird health issues. Uh, I'm looking to take up a new futures position going in to this playoff run. And what I'm doing, what I've already done, and what I'm recommending other people do is to take a position on the Sixers. I took a position on Philadelphia to win the Eastern Conference at plus 300. And I took a position on them to win the NBA championship at plus 700. And I think both of those positions are going to give me some movement later on to adjust based on how the playoff bracket unfolds. The reason I like Philadelphia, for one thing, it's not Brooklyn and everybody is all in on Brooklyn. Brooklyn could run away with this thing. I'm just not sold on a team that really hasn't played with all of its pieces together at all this season, like at all. 
Uh, so I, I'm not I'm not just going to blindly go in at a really really uh, non fortunate price with Brooklyn. I'm going to look for other options. The West has like six, five, six, seven different teams that could legitimately come out of there. So planting a flag somewhere there doesn't make a lot of sense because there's so many options. And when you look at the Eastern bracket with Philadelphia, they have a much better path to the Eastern Conference Finals than the other side of that bracket that has Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Uh, So I want the team that I think has the cleanest path to a conference final. Then I can start to work off of that position. I can start to hedge off. I can do some creative things that give me a much better advantage against the sportsbook. That's why I've identified Philadelphia and have the two positions, the plus 300 to win the East and the plus 700 to win the championship. So that was great and all. A lot of good information, a good segue into what we're going to get into for 15 minutes or so here. But I I kind of miss when you would, you know, take us to France or Sardinia. Take us take us somewhere else, take us to the FCS. I'm sure that's go coming. off the map. I'm sure that's coming back. A little table tennis, a little trampolini coming this summer maybe. Yeah, I mean we we got we got French Open run-up stuff that's that's getting very close. So I'm sure we're going to get into some some weirder stuff, some some like Monte Carlo-esque weird stuff. I F1's very trendy right now. Maybe I need to start looking up F1 lines. Some handball. Was doing a little uh, a little site maintenance type of work late last night and I didn't know the depth of handball and that there were specific leagues like in every single country. So apparently handball is big in Germany. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hit that at some point. God, I was so good at handball in high school. I know that's not why people came to this podcast, but I just want the people to know. I was a gross gross handball player in high school. <laughs> So we're actually talking on Wednesday night for this part of the show, right before the, well, like an hour before Spurs-Grizzlies tip and then Lakers-Warriors later tonight. So those games will be done by the time that this drops on Thursday morning. And I want to start somewhere. I I might have Knicks fatigue by now, but I just want to start there because they were so dominant against the spread all season. They posted an ATS plus minus plus 4.2. And if that number means nothing to you without the context anything above like 0.8.91 is usually considered elite usually you only have four five six maybe seven teams above that number above 0.8.91 all season long and I went back a ways I wish I had more time to go back even farther there hasn't been a team above plus three on the ATS as far back as I can tell over the last decade or so basically just as good on the road as they have been at home and my question for you is, where do we go from here? Because we can see all these numbers. They're also great with longer layoffs, few days off, great as a favorite as they are against the Hawks. That game is on Sunday, not on Saturday. It's on Sunday. Right now, one and a half point favorites. The question is, is it too late to hop aboard the Knicks ATS train? Is that 4.2 number misleading at all? Is their overall ATS record misleading at all? Is it time to jump off the Knicks train if you've been aboard all season. What is the approach with this team with a huge layoff after a season in which they got so much love from the national media? Where are you going with the Knicks this uh, this postseason? Yeah, so let me contextualize the number and then let me talk about the, the round one matchup with the Hawks. I think when you look at the Knicks and why they were so good against the spread this year, the first half of the season, it was entirely because the Knicks have sucked 
forever. They've been bad for many, many years. When did the Lions, do you think, was there a point at which you remember when the Lions kind of started adjusting the markets, adjusted to everyone realizing, hey, the Knicks don't suck? Like, was there a, I don't know, you probably can't name like a date, but do you recall a point in which something may have shifted when it wasn't just whatever the first 20 games or 25 games of the season was purely because the Knicks have sucked for so long and then it got to a point where we're actually setting the lines for this season. Do you remember a point this year when that happened? I don't. I know it was probably longer than other other teams that had similar profiles because, you know, wh- one of the things I think that that being self-aware, I can tell you one of my flaws as a gambler which you know because we talk about this all the time on the podcast, is I'm slow to adjust. I like to see things. I like proof. I don't always like to go out on a limb with a team or a program or a player that hasn't necessarily done it before. Like I'm a little slow to adjust. I'm a little conservative in that way. And the Knicks, because they've been so bad and they were just kind of randomly good this year, and we I can talk about why in a second, but because they kind of came out of nowhere this year, a lot of people were thinking, hey, isn't this like the Orioles starting 5-2? and two? And everybody going, huh, are the Orioles going to be good this year? And then they lose 100 games. Like, isn't it kind of that situation? Let's just wait for the regression to the mean. Like, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you know it's coming. And it never really came. They're a gritty team. Randall has taken, you know, this is not a player who's only been in the league for two or three years. He is a veteran guy. He's like you know, close to our age. He's He's been in the league for, I don't know, seven or eight years. He's never really popped like this. It's a Thibodeau team, so they're playing defense, which I think in the regular season can be kind of spotty, especially in this this run-and-gun, three-and-D kind of era we're in. So there there are a lot of reasons why the Knicks suddenly got good, and the ATS record has been so, so... Uh, abnormally great for them. I think this is one of those, uh, this is like a maximum effort team, I think is the terminology that we sometimes use. I'm thinking back to like four or five years ago, the year the Hawks were the number one seed and and LeBron was still in Cleveland and the Hawks were the number one seed and you were going, okay, that's a nice story, but like... That was like Horford's last year there, or second to last year Yeah, and like Kyle Korver was leading the league and yeah, and they were like the Spurs East and, and it was like, okay, that's... Great story. Are you picking them to come out of the East or anything? Probably not, right? And then they get slapped by Cleveland. I think they got swept in that series. And they were the number one seed and they got swept by Cleveland. So they're a maximum effort team. There's not a lot more you can get out of this team. And that's kind of where they enter the playoffs. It's awesome that they're a forward. It's awesome that the Knicks don't suck. It's awesome that James Dolan is not an automatic punchline this year. Like All of those things are great. And I'm really happy for the Knicks fans in my life. But... I wonder if they're a good matchup for Atlanta, who I think, depending on how good of a series Trey Young has, can do some things that are going to challenge the Knicks offensively. Like you, in a lot of ways, when you play against Atlanta, you're going to have to keep up with them. You have to keep pace with them. And I wonder if the Knicks are capable of that offensively. I think what you would say in New York's defense is hey, this is the playoffs defense wins championships and all that and we are the team that has the much uh much more cohesive defensive identity so i think that's a point in their favor i think Thibodeau knows how to coach in the postseason i think that's a point in their favor 
Uh, but I do think that they are going to be... Ch- There's going to be at least one or two games in this series where Atlanta scores 135 points and the Knicks are looking around like, hey, we can't do that. Like We, we can't sh- hit 28 threes in one game. That's not going to happen. So it is going to be an interesting series. I do think I understand what where New York's uh, ATS record has come from this season. I would be very careful trying to recreate it in this in this first series because they could win this series or they could lose this series. I, I would this is one of the toughest first round series to try to get a handle on in terms of who's gonna win. It's gonna be a classic clash of styles, and whoever wins that battle, I think, is probably gonna win the war. Looking at these series, uh betting odds on betmgm.com. So if you go to the NBA tab and you scroll down it says NBA series there and it's all broken down. So Nick's Hawk is at Nick's Hawks is at the top. Uh, and the series winner odd, it, it's split evenly. Knicks minus 110, Hawks minus 110. Uh, you, can, you can go down and see, you know, correct score of this series, sweeps, all that kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, while we're on this page, I, I spent a little bit of time today trying to figure out this Bucks heat situation because I don't know if there is another series this year and maybe even in recent memory where there's so much attention on the Bucks' first round, second round, even I guess even semis failures over the last few years when they were either the best team in the league, the best team in the conference, etc. When they probably should have gone farther, this team has had so much attention on that, and you have a Heat team that is only what like six, seven months removed from what they did last year, and that run they made last year. It really feels like we have complete opposite sides of the spectrum, where you have a I don't. I'd have to look at the money, but it seems like the Heat. The perception with the Heat would be like, I don't care where they are. Yes, I think their finals odds are like plus three thousand or something like that. I would imagine there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, you never know with the Heat. They can make a run." We saw that earlier this season when they started so shitty and they found a little bit of a groove, and then going against the Bucks, whom everybody is probably betting against, uh, not quite probably like the Jazz or the Suns. But in a series like that, I'm trying to figure out where to. Put money and where to identify value, and I'm really intrigued by. There's a bet that is win uh, the Bucks win game one and win the series minus one fifty five. And why I'm curious about this value, I'm gonna try to break this down uh, on the show, which might be kind of tricky with all the numbers. But bear with me, and then we'll see if I get anywhere. If I don't, we'll just we'll cut out of it here. If you put a ten dollar bet on the Bucks to win game one, so you can't parlay these two these two bets. So it'd be individual bets. Ten dollar bet on the Bucks to win game one. They're minus two hundred on the money line. You're gonna win five bucks, right? Ten dollar bet on the Bucks to win the series, minus two seventy. You're gonna win like three fifty, three sixty ish. So total on two ten dollar bets, you're gonna make eight sixty on a profit. Again, you can't parlay that, but MGM's not gonna allow that parlay on their site. But you can. This is a worse price. You're gonna pay a little bit more on this, but still, one fifty five minus one fifty five on the Bucks to win Game One and win the series. And going off of the math, and, and that's, I know that's this not is, a parlay. Just just to clean it up so everybody understands, that's not a parlay exactly. you're building. That's a specific prop that MGM is offering. That's the only way you can do that. Yeah, there's. I think it's offered for most series. It's not offered for the net series, I don't think. But there is, yeah, like Knicks to win game one and the Knicks to win the series. Knicks game one, uh, Hawks win the series. All kinds of stuff like that for, for most series. I think the Nets is the only one. So, yeah, it's not a parlay. Um, that I'm building because it's not going to allow you to do that. So it's a baked-in parlay, a prepackaged parlay. Bucks minus 155 to win game one, win the series. And I don't know how much stock to put into this, so maybe you can help me out a little bit. Game one, all-time game one winners, we know what their record is. Uh, 78% of the time they win the series. So if I'm putting on a $10 bet, 
at minus 275 to win the series, just to win the series, just that individual bet, 275 on the Bucks, you're going to win 364. So at 78% of the time, if I'm winning game one, that's just not high enough for me. That's where I see value here. Do you see where I'm going with this? Uh, a little bit. Why, why don't you finish your thought and then I'm going to jump in, or are you done? I kind of want your take at this point. That That's why I wanted you to hop in, because I'm I'm saying, like, the math tells me that if they're winning 78% of the time, like, if you think the Bucs are going to win game one, you're going to want to bet the Bucs to obviously win game one, but then if you think they're going to win game one, why not place this bet at 155 instead of taking the 275 for the series? But if you take 275 for the series, a $10 bet, for example, to win 364, that is, I mean, that's nowhere near 78% on a return. That's just not high enough for me. So the math tells me on that, that is where I might identify value in taking that bet as opposed to breaking it up. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm going to stay away from this game one situation because this is, you know, sometimes weird things happen in game one. Sometimes people come in with really good game plans, but they don't have a second punch to throw. So I could see Miami winning game one and the Bucks winning this series in five. Like that's, I think that's totally on the table. I love Milwaukee in this series for a couple of reasons. One, everybody's off Milwaukee. Like th- I've been waiting for this moment for two or three years. Milwaukee is legitimately good. If I didn't have that Sixers bet, I'd be betting on Milwaukee. That's how much I like Milwaukee here. Everybody's off them Suddenly they're not hot anymore. Suddenly like nobody wants anything to do with them because they've lost in the playoffs, which almost every team does every year. There's only one team that gets to win the championship every year. So, I I mean, I'm not going to defend how they lost last year. I just don't think I'm not signing up for that to happen automatically again. I would be shocked if this Milwaukee team gets bounced in round one. I love Milwaukee to win this series at 275. I don't want to add anything on top of it. I just want to pay the two seventy five. I'll lay five bills on it. I'll lay a thousand on it. I feel really, really good about it. What do it. you think this number should be? It's like, what is the based in historical bias against the Bucks here? Like, should this number be closer to like three fifty, four hundred? If I think the number's right because it, you you want to protect yourself from both sides. And I, I mean, I don't have any of the numbers on on the series or anything. I bet there's pretty good action on both sides of this bet because you. Got- I guess my my question being is like even though you think the number is right from the book side, but since you are so excited about two seventy five, like what is the number I guess where you wouldn't take Milwaukee? Where like if you were the book and like you were setting the market, and I know you said that two seventy five is the right number here, but what do you think it should be at? Because you think that this I would. Historical bias against him is a little bit too overblown. Yeah, without without like really crunching numbers and, and and getting into some sort of you know like let me let me get into a formula and make my own number kind of thing. I would probably lay this up to four hundred. I mean, I, I feel really good about Milwaukee winning this series. I I think it's a lightning strikes twice kind of thing. Like I, I really don't think Miami's gonna beat them again. I just don't see that. Uh, where else? I'm looking at some finals odds here. I'm too. I'm not sure if you have any notes on that. Going back to the Knicks, plus ten thousand. Jazz, seven fifty. Like I said, Heat, three hot, huh? three thousand. Suns, plus sixteen hundred. Anything there or anything else? Uh, really, in any series that you want to take us. You know, we don't have the number yet because, like, uh, like you said earlier, we we're doing this Wednesday night, so the the Warriors Lakers like mega play in game that everybody's looking forward to that hasn't even happened yet. 
I'm very curious to see what this Phoenix LA line will be, assuming the Lakers win this game, because Phoenix cannot beat the Lakers. It, it sucks because <laughs> I, I kind of want to see Phoenix have a nice run here. Like, first of all, my guy Javon Carter's on the team, so let's get that out of the way. I, I think Chris Paul takes too much shit. I think it's a fun team. I like Monty Williams. I like how they built the team. There's just a lot to like with this Phoenix team. But they don't have the personnel to go against Anthony Davis and, and a big, like, strong... It's just a really bad matchup for them. So I am looking forward to seeing that number. It might not be a number I like. I might end up staying away from it. But I think there's a lot of potential there. Nobody's going to confuse the Lakers for an underdog or anything, like a capital U underdog. So it should be, I would think, a pretty closely handicapped game. It will be really funny if the Lakers, as the seven seed, come into <laughs> once once the uh, once the matchups finalized. It would be amusing if the seven seed is the favorite to beat the two. You seed. know what this feels like? Remember that Wichita State Kentucky game back in twenty. Whenever the year that yeah. Wichita State was the one, like 2014, yes. I think this is what it kind of feels like, where everybody's going in saying like, "Yeah, the Suns are great. Yeah, Wichita State's great. Oh shit, they got Kentucky. They're screwed." Now I think I would. We should go back and look at the show. I think that Kentucky was favored in that game. Now it's a little bit different, neutral court, and Kentucky's more of a known blue blood as opposed to like this situation because I think a lot of people are aware of how good the Suns are. But, and that, all that but that's kind of a stuff. good comp though because it is like, hey, I get that they're the higher seed and they have the better record and all that, but I mean, that's a bad matchup. Wichita State versus Kentucky. I mean, we all kind of understand where this is going. What do you think the series odds would be for that for for Lakers Suns? Lakers minus one twenty. Lakers one thirty. Lakers one fifty. Would you maybe? take that gladly? I don't know about gladly, I, but yeah, I'd probably take it. Because like I this, said, I don't see Phoenix having a path to beat the Lakers. I'm really curious if this line is pretty volatile before tip-off. Like If we get this late tonight, if they're tipping at 10 Eastern, we, I would think we would probably have it by like 1.30 or, or 2 o'clock Eastern tonight. I'm curious how much this line moves. If I mean, because that series is going to have some pretty heavy money on it. I should have looked up the numbers for the Lakers-Warriors tonight to see what kind of money we have on this and, and the splits and all that, but... You would think Suns-Lakers is going to get some pretty heavy action. I'm curious how volatile this line is going to be and if we're going to see serious movement uh, in the, what, 70, 48, 72 hours or whatever it is before that game. Yeah, I could run through uh, I could run through the other series real quick here and just give yeah, like, through them. Quick, yeah, fly through them. What else you got? Quick thoughts. Uh, let's see. We got the Nets-Celtics. Forget about it. Nets are going to run away with that one. Celtics don't have the firepower. And I'm not sure they even want to be in the playoffs at this point. They're they're they just I they just they're an uninspiring Celtics team. It's like uh, a bowl game. Like, do we really want to go to the Sun Bowl? Yeah, this is like yeah. Florida, Oklahoma. This is just I don't know. Uh, what, what else we got? What else we got? We're going down through here. Clippers, Mavs. Uh, Clippers minus three seventy five. Mavericks catching plus three hundred. I would not be shocked if that game goes to seven. If you remember, they played in the first round last year. Game went to seven, and then the Clippers sort of seized control of it in game seven. But that was a close game, uh, a close series, and the Mavericks last year were not playing really as well. They, they had a very highly rated offense, but it was more of a evolution of the game, more efficient offenses, more threes thing than anything else. Uh, I would not be surprised if that game goes seven. I think I would bet the series goes to seven games before I bet either side there. Uh, I don't know what to do with the Clippers, man. D- Nuggets, Blazers, 
Very interesting series. Actually, if you if you look at it, uh, the Nuggets are the underdog in this series. The Blazers are minus 120. I'd say that probably tells you all you need to know. Probably lean Portland there. I think some of the things they do off ball and with screens and the way they run their offense gives makes Portland a very tough matchup for Denver. Uh, and that might be it. I think we, do we hit everything? No, cause we're just waiting for Grizzlies Spurs. And then like, I mean, you touched on, uh, Suns Lakers. I'm just looking through these different series spreads. Like for example, Nuggets Blazers series spread Blazers minus one and a half at plus 185. If you like the Blazers that much, is that enough value for you to take Blazers to win this series by at least two games? Yeah, that's. Can I mean, see, that's that's see... not crazy. That's an interesting uh, idea that you have. Like, do uh, the, the the Blazers win in six at plus one eighty five? I mean, that's that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad pull. You might want to. Put I, a I mean, I, I guess that. the point is like, where's the? Do you see enough value difference between the Blazers at minus one twenty to win however you want four to three, four to one, whatever? Or do you feel that much more confident? What was it plus one eighty five? Yeah, so you're you're getting pretty significant value there, going from minus one twenty to plus one eighty five. That could be a fun one. You are, but I, I think what I would what I would argue is the impetus for me to bet Portland is more about my feelings in general on when the lower seeded team is favored. That's something I like to chase. So I think I would probably just stick to the straight Portland win and not try to go a la carte sort of down the line. But if you really feel strongly about specific matchup stuff with Portland versus Denver, which, like I said, there is specific matchup stuff with Portland versus Denver, that might be something you want to attack because, I mean, winning 4-2 if you're Portland is not some crazy thing. You know, with with the Murray situation, it's tough to go against Jokic that aggressively, but I, I think Portland probably is going to win that series. So that's something to think about. A little bit longer than I thought we were going to, but a lot of information packed into there. Uh, if you have any questions throughout the NBA playoffs this weekend, whatever, hit up Chase on Twitter at Chase A Kitty or tweet your questions to at High Motor Pod. Bring them up on next episode or throughout the playoffs. We'll be back on Monday, getting back to our regular schedule after this off day this past Monday. We'll start also getting into a lot of football preview stuff in the coming weeks, breaking things down by conference and college football, breaking things down by division in the NFL, some previews, some more future stuff. We mentioned we're going to do more of a full episode on NFL win totals, getting our predictions, our opinions on that. Uh, so give a, a heads up on that for more NFL and college football stuff coming in the next, uh, what, three and a half months until kickoff. Until then, thanks for checking out High Motor by BetMGM. Have a wonderful weekend.